are now tuned in to the Storm Tracker Podcast. Welcome back to the Storm Tracker Podcast. I'm Marcus Benjamin, representing for CanesCounty.com, part of the Rivals.com network. Make sure you subscribe to the website. Use the promo code Miami30 for the first 30 days for free. Also, subscribe to this podcast on all platforms, the Storm Tracker Podcast. And like every week, we are scouting the opponent. And today I've got Andrew Jones joining me from Heel, Heels Illustrated. Part of also part of the rivals.com network. Thank you for joining me today, Andrew. Hey Marcus, appreciate you having me on, man. Appreciate you coming. Uh, you know, I, I know you're probably dying to know kind of what has happened down here in South Florida with the Mario Cristobal debacle of a situation where Obviously, he could have kneeled down with the football and Miami would be 5-0. and And this game against North Carolina would probably be a much bigger game if Miami would have uh, been undefeated. So just going to open up the floor for you, man. Like, actually, just from your perspective, watching it, obviously, on TV and kind of seeing the fallout, you know, what is your perception of, of kind of what unfolded? I was still in the press box at Keenan Stadium finishing up my work, and I was casually following the scores of games, and that one in particular. And we have a group text for my staff, and they were texting, well, it looks like my, it's going to be 5-0 versus 5-0, and which I think everybody was hoping for because it would be a better atmosphere, a bigger game. And and um, for, for those of us who cover – ACC teams, the better the ACC is perceived, I think the more fun it is to cover this stuff because the games mean more. And then one of my staffers texted me and said, oh my God, Miami lost. And I thought they had, I saw that they had on game cast, I saw they had the ball like 35 or 40 seconds left. I figured, okay, that's over. And then she texted that and I had no idea what was going on. So when I left the stadium, I called her and she told me what happened. So I got home. By the time I got home, it was all over social media. And I watched it in total disbelief that that actually happened. And my first thought was, well, aside from the fact that it takes some shine off of this game, is what on earth kind of team is Miami going to bring to Chapel Hill? Like, how does Mario get those kids back? Because that was the snaf- the mother of all snafus. And it was a terrible decision on his part. And you also have to wonder, and this is what some of us have talked about in the media here in North Carolina, is the offensive coordinator didn't speak up and say anything. Tyler Van Dyke, who's got the probably has the authority to make some call changes at the line of scrimmage, why don't he call timeout rather than say, hey, why don't we just take a knee? It's kind of amazing that nobody caught on to it and it happened. And then the other side of it is a defense allowed Georgia Tech to score. It's not like Georgia Tech had a short field. They allowed him to score. There was a total breakdown in a secondary, which is a very good secondary to allow yeah. that winning touchdown. So it was a total collapse on all aspects of that team. And that's a difficult task that Mario has now getting those kids ready, not just to play anybody, but to go on the road and play a very good team this week. So to me, that's the most interesting thing about this game is what kind of Miami team comes out. And if North Carolina gets up early, how does Miami react? I think that those are going to be really fascinating things if it plays out that way. Absolutely. I totally agree. Uh, Mario Cristobal has a tough, 
tall task on his hands to kind of build his team back up for to to date their biggest game of the season against North Carolina. Uh, your first road conference game. It, it's definitely going to be tough, but from what we've heard from Cristobal and the coordinators and the players today, uh, it seems like they are saying the right things, obviously, but um, it, it seems like mentally they've kind of moved on from this and they're ready for the next task at hand. Um, Matt Lee uh, famously was on several memes or videos crying and saying, you know, what the F are we doing was was what he was allegedly mouthing. He talked to us today and, and he said, you know, we're, we're just move on. That's football and we're just moving on to, to the next game. So it seems like they are mentally ready to take on the, the next task. I mean, that's easier, easier said than done. Yeah. But um, another thing I wanted to ask is, you know, were was it asked in, in the press conference at Carolina and, and what, what was said from, you know, some, some of the players or coaches? Well, we had Mac Brown and the two coordinators on Monday. Today, Tuesday, we had four players. So uh, Mac, Mac has this big laminated sheet with two sides of stuff he wants to address. Usually he goes 15, 16, 17 minutes before he starts taking questions. And at the last thing he talks about before taking questions is the coming opponent. And he only said one thing about Miami which was interesting because usually he spends a couple of minutes on the opponent. They had Minnesota a few weeks ago and he went two and a half, three minutes just on PJ Fleck. Yeah. So uh, he said one thing, you know, extremely athletic, talented team. It's going to be our biggest test of the season pretty much to, to give a snapshot of it. He was asked about the situation, the, the kneel down situation or not non kneel down situation. And I think, uh, you know, Max really good at being political and diplomatic with his answers. And he said, look, people don't realize how much chaos there is on the sideline. And there are mixed signals that get sent in often. It's just that you don't see it because if it's a run play and you get two yards and no one ever knows it was a mixed signal, they never know. It doesn't affect the game. It's in the middle of the game. It's one of 160 snaps taken in a game. This happened to be something that occurred at the end. He didn't say it was a mixed signal, but I think he tried to cover over the fact that, A, he's not going to criticize Mario for what happened. B, it's very possible there was a mixed signal. And C, that it doesn't do him any good to talk about it. So he kind of dodged it in that sense. Now, Drake May was asked about it today, and Drake is, is pretty forthright with things that he says. He says, look, you know, clock management stuff happens all the time. It just so happened to happen there at that time. I don't know how Miami people would receive his comments. I, I thought that they were benign, but I think coming from a quarterback who would be the next guy outside of coaches to understand the clock management issues happen – I think it made some sense that, look, they, it just hit them at the absolute wrong time that either there was a chaotic situation that got a wrong call in or there was a clock management situation that somebody screwed up on and it couldn't have happened at a worse time. It happens all the time during the course of a game. Most people just never see it, but everybody saw it this time because it actually cost them a game. So I think that they're treading the right way on it, and but they don't want to talk about it. And, and I can understand that. I wouldn't want to be asked that question because I would be inclined to say, boy, Mary, I blew the crap out of that. And then you have locker room fodder, which can get a team rallied around one another very quickly. So 
I think they handled it right. Um, they didn't want it. They were hoping we wouldn't. Ask. I'm surprised they didn't say beforehand, no questions about Mario. So, <laughs> And there were no other questions because, you know, he used to, there was a time that you know, Mario's and Max paths have crossed before. So um, Max seems to know everybody in the industry. Every head coach of another team is a dear friend, but they didn't, they didn't go anywhere near that with Miami. Yeah, it, it's 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 a tough situation uh, for the fan base down here. They're still, you know, mad about the the call, obviously, to not kneel down. But they're also extremely mad about the 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 fact that it was called a fumble um, and yeah. that they viewed it and that you know it was still called a fumble even after review. And now there's photos coming out. Uh, I even posted one on on social media of the elbow actually being down with the football uh in place so uh Miami still haven't, hasn't heard from the ACC yet about the situation but we will see if, if we get an answer on that but you know what though three interceptions shouldn't have been that situation in the first place right. I'm a big believer and some people disagree with this and I usually get it a lot but I don't think officials win or lose games for anybody because that stuff generally evens out over the course of a game it just so happens that this particular fumble call came at a crucial time if it's not called Miami wins the game and no one's complaining about Mario right now but the fact that they were in that position to begin with against a team that is all over the map not very good and had just gotten pounded at home by Bowling Green. I think that that's cause for concern if you're Miami. Uh, now, everyone gets a one-off, and maybe that was Miami's one-off, but they put themselves in a position to have no room for error and yeah. to not allow officials to decide it. I've covered coaches for a long time, a couple of Hall of Famers, and they always say, they tell their team, don't give put the officials in position to make a call that costs you a game. And Miami put themselves in that position. So, And then they still had a chance to stop Georgia Tech and right. didn't do it. So in the end, Miami lost because Miami lost. Yeah, I, yeah, I can't disagree with you there. Uh, when Georgia Tech had the ball with 26 seconds left at 26, you should be able to stop them from at least a touchdown. Maybe you can hold them to a field goal, play it to overtime, and see what happens. Yeah. But yeah, just giving up that touchdown at the end is kind of it's kind of inexcusable. But I think they were surprised to even be on the field at that point thinking that the game yeah. was was over so we'll wait and see if the acc has a ruling on that the ncaa did make a ruling recently for the care for the carolina tar heels in the issue with uh tez walker now that's an interesting one uh i'm not sure why it kind of took so long to clear him and his eligibility uh you're kind of close to the situation uh, what's your opinion on that and what you saw from him in one week so far? Well, I'll first address the NCAA side of things. Clearly, it reached a point where it was a, um, I don't want to say the word, but it was a you-know-what match between North Carolina and the NCAA. <laughs> when you, The NCAA said, we don't comment on stuff. And then back in early September, they commented. And they, may, they put out that release about getting th threats of violence, but they never supported that with any evidence. Should they? Yeah, I think in that case you should, but they didn't. So it had become personal. And they were very upset that North Carolina had really pushed hard back in August. In fact, we had no idea his eligibility was in question until we were over there after practice on August 8th. 
And we were supposed to talk to Gene Chizik and Mac comes over. We're like, well, Mac, Mac likes talking to me. He was saying, figure out. And we hadn't talked to Mac in five days. Maybe he wants to talk to us for a few minutes. And he tells us about Tez. And at the time, it sounded like that was a new thing. We later learned that they had been trying to get him eligible numerous times. They had already reached the uh, uh, multiple appeal process. And they appealed, I think, three times in August alone. NCAA kept saying no. And Carolina came out and they 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 tugged at the emotional heartstrings. They talked about Tez crying in practice and shame on you, NCAA, when Mac had a statement when Tez was denied before the South Carolina game. And then again, the next week before App State, Carolina made it very personal and it ticked off a lot of people in Indianapolis. And I think I understand why it would, because Carolina put up their Dukes and then the NCAA put up their Dukes and went at it. And ultimately he was cleared. He should have been cleared all along. It was ridiculous he wasn't cleared all along. I do not know what the extra new information was that the NCAA claims was put forth. I do know that you and that some attorneys, some very high-powered attorneys, were prepared to go after the NCAA hard. Mm -hmm. And they may have decided it's not worth it to fight this and have have this thing play out because they're going to lose in court. Yeah, it's maybe cost that a lot was of money. Maybe that was well. They've lost so many. I think that's what it was. They've lost so many court battles. And North Carolina waged a war against them with the whole AFAM stuff about six years ago, and won then as well. And and the you know Penn State had its issue. Miami's had issues before that they've had to can't afford to be bogged down with that in a legal proceeding or a civil proceeding. So I think they just cut the cord to it and said he's eligible. And and they got their last salvo in. And Mac was asked about it after the game Saturday. He said, you know what? I'm moving forward. It's all in the past. We're moving forward because they got what they wanted. They got their best wide receiver on, on, on the field now. And I think it takes them up a notch offensively from what is already a damn good offense. It takes them up another notch. So in the end, Carolina got what it wanted. Yeah. But now you, you like you said, you've got a number one receiver inserted to an already potent yeah. offense. Uh, he did, see the field last week against Syracuse in a blowout win. What have you seen from Tez Walker? Well, he had been running uh, on the scout team for the previous month. Now imagine you're in the secondary in North Carolina and you've got Tez Walker running scout team. They actually say that's one of the reasons that they've got, that they've improved in the secondary because one of the best receivers in the country is, is on the scout team. So he hadn't run anything with the first or second team offense since August. And they found out after practice Thursday. So Chip Lindsay, the offensive coordinator, and Lonnie Galloway, who's the passing game coordinator and wide receiver coach, they sat down in a room Friday afternoon and tried to scribble up a few things to figure out a way to incorporate Tez into the offense some. So he played Saturday with having gone through a walkthrough. And that was it. And he, he, he was targeted eight times, had six catches, had a really nice catch on the sideline and showed a few flashes. And there was one play, a deep ball to Nate McCollum, in which Tez was also open. And, you know, Drake could have picked, you know, let's pick your poison deal. And he threw to Nate because it was a little bit of the easier throw. And I asked Drake after the game, I said, was that the Tez effect? And he said, yes. And what the Tez effect is, is this was a receiving core that really didn't have anybody that could consistently take the top off of defense before. They have good players that can get downfield, but they weren't, Tez Walker. They didn't have that extra layer. Tez has that. And by him being out there, the effect is the other guys, it extends their routes. 
And we saw that with Nate McCollum there. We saw that with Bryson Nesbitt, the tight end, getting downfield more with some stuff. So I think you'll see North Carolina go downfield, go deep, go mid-deep more now than they have previously this season. And it's the Tez Walker effect. And if they play 80 snaps on offense, Tez is going to be out there for 70 of them probably every game. That sounds scary, uh, you know, for for Hurricanes fans, I, I bet. I mean, they were already kind of bracing themselves for uh, Drake May, and, and now, you know, conveniently for Hurricanes fans, Tez Walker is cleared and is, you know, playing well. And then obviously we're getting reps being, albeit the scout team reps, still reps nonetheless. So it's it, it's an easy transition for him. Um, how's, how's Drake may really kind of elevated his game. Uh, obviously he is a NFL worthy, uh, quarterback and last year he could have gone to the NFL. He chose to come back to Carolina after, after a few games, they're obviously undefeated. What have you seen from may and has he improved from last year? Yeah, well, he was only in his second year last year as a redshirt freshman, so he had to come back, but um, he probably would have come back anyway. Although Max said some scouts told him that Drake would have been the first pick in the draft last year if he was eligible and had come out. So what does that mean? Well, that means he's obviously supremely talented, as you said. I do think he's gotten better, and the numbers, the past, the touchdown pass numbers haven't been there yet. Partly because he's had five guys who have caught balls going downfield have been stopped at the one yard line. And Matt kind of makes a joke about it every week now. It's like, well, we're counting these and they're almost touchdowns and he doesn't have those touchdowns. So uh, he didn't miss anything. So I think that's kind of interesting. And I'm going to go back later tonight or tomorrow and try to tabulate exactly the number. They're saying five. I think it's probably four, but we'll see. The point is, is that he's in a new offense with Chip Lindsay that's more power run oriented. And the previous game against Pitt, he only threw 30 passes. He threw 47 against Syracuse. They also ran 97 plays against Syracuse. So I think what you've seen from him is he's learning to manage the game as an NFL quarterback more. And he's not trying to thread the needle as much as he did a year ago. It's a little bit more of a mature performance each week. In fact, I asked him today about a specific throw he made Saturday against Syracuse, where it looked like he quickly went through his, 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 his uh, progression and checked down to a running back. It was a third and eight or a second and eight play. And he thought, okay, there's the safe play. He threw it to a Marion Hampton. He turned and he picked up nine yards in the play. They got the first down. That was an NFL kind of play where you make the safe throws a lot and you pick your way down the field. And he's doing more of that. Uh, he's getting rid of the ball a little bit quicker. Um, he said that sometimes he would sort of glide a little bit when he'd throw on the run. So he's not gliding as much when he throws on the run. He's so good that he's looking at these nitpicking some of these little specifics here, but he is getting better in those areas. And I think, and the program believes he's ready to explode. Now he threw for four forty-two the other day and even with people saying, well, he hasn't been as good this year as he was last year. He's ahead of his total yardage right now than he was this time a year ago. And they've played a much tougher schedule the first five games than they did a year ago as well. So uh, Drake is playing at an exceptionally high level. Uh, there's a little bit more 
maturity to his game now than there was. And that comes with the run game too. He's not taken off and running as much. He's not taking as many hits as he did a year ago. And that's good for the team because if he went down, they'd be in trouble because I don't think there's a lot of confidence in the backup behind him right now. So um, you're seeing Drake may play, maybe not a plus football. He's played a football. And I think a plus football could be his future, especially now that he's got that deep threat, like Tez Walker, who's going to be out there for the majority of every game. Definitely. You mentioned the schedule being tougher uh, this season and they did play Appalachian state uh, this season, as well as last season, it had a rough go, got it both times here. Uh, that was kind of the closest game that North Carolina's kind of had this this year thus far. Can you kind of tell me kind of what happened in that game and how did Drake make play in that one, in your opinion? Well, the other four games have been against Power 5 teams. Now, granted, Pitt's down, Minnesota's not very good. Syracuse, I think, is kind of average maybe. And we don't really know yet what South Carolina is, but they've won those four games by almost an average of 21 points. So they've thumped those teams and they've right. really bowed up defensively, especially in the second half in those games. In fact, the defense has given up only 13 total points in the second half of those four games. App State is a different animal. They're, it's a good program. It's a proud, proud program. And they get up for North, I mean, North Carolina should never play teams like that. And, and people in this state hate when you say that because they're like, well, it's a, it's a fun game. It's great for the state. Well, UNC wins. They beat a solid team, and they drop three spots in the rankings because most people don't realize that App State's a good program, and it's a well-coached program. They win a week later and should have won at Wyoming, and a lot of people are now saying Wyoming will be the G5 rep in the New Year's, in the New Year's Six Bowls. So um, that, was a good, that was a quality performance. So I also think it's that one-off game. I don't think Carolina uh, was super ready to play that game. That was the one week where Max said, look, we didn't have great practices. They've had great practices otherwise, but he said that week, we didn't have great practices. And you could always tell if you don't have great practices, you're rarely going to play real well that Saturday. So I think it was a lesson learned. And we'll say it's a one-off if it happens again, then it wasn't. Maybe it's more of an identity of who they are. And, and we just don't know yet because the P5 teams they played are bad. We still have a lot of that learning to do as teams play more games, but it's sort of like the Miami-Georgia Tech game. Had Miami taken the knee and won that game, it's not a resounding victory over um, a, a, an okay team, and I think App State would be comparable to Georgia yeah. Tech. But obviously the, the situation happened, and, and that changed the game for Miami. So everyone has a game like that, and I guess if you're going to have a special season, you win that game instead of lose that game. And some people around here believe that North Carolina is on track for a special season. And I think if they're at the 9-0 and and 10-0 and mark, people are going to look back and say, man, what happened that day? They sure got lucky. And I think that they did. I think when you win in overtime or double overtime, there's a lot of luck that goes into it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the one game that I did watch as far as North Carolina, I, I think the entire game was their opener against South Carolina. And I was impressed with their defense in that game, albeit South Carolina, as, as the season progresses, you see is, you know, maybe not as good as advertised as, as when we were going into that game. But what have you seen from, from the defense as the season has progressed from that South Carolina game? 
they're much, much better. They had nine sacks that night, and that's not who they are. They're not a high sack volume team. What they are is they're a make the quarterback move team. They're change the patterns, the pass routes by making the quarterback move. And, and and they're a containment team. You saw what they did against Garrett Schrader. You have to have excellent containment to keep him from having a big game, and they did that. Previously, that was an issue. Running quarterbacks had given them all kinds of trouble. Quarterbacks like Spencer Rowler had given them all kinds of trouble. And so what they did is they've, they've, they've gotten really good at forcing quarterbacks to play out of character or out of routine, if you will, and they keep everything in front of them. They have not given up many big plays this year. And then they're, they're better on third downs. They're getting off the field. Their, their pass coverage is better. It's tighter. They were, they were a very soft coverage team a year ago. And part of that was they didn't trust the corners. The corners, corners are gone. They trust the corners they have now. And they're getting more of a conventional pass rush from the front. So they're forcing quarterbacks to get rid of the ball quicker than they were before. They don't go through the whole progression anymore. And with that, they have tighter, short coverage. So uh, they, they're just doing everything across the board at a much higher level than they did a year ago. It's an old defense. They have six college graduates in the rotation on defense. They have, I did this, uh, I was looking up the numbers before the season. Entering the season, they had 17 defensive players in the rotation that had played at least 700 snaps in college. 14 of them had played at least a thousand snaps in wow. college. So it's an experienced group. It's athletic. They've got several NFL guys over there. They've struck oil in the transfer portal with a guy like Elijah Huzzy, who's playing the star position because they're starting star, which is they call the nickel the star. He was sure. out with loss for the season before the season even started. And he was one of their best defenders. So uh, Gene Chizik simplified his plan. He, he was out for five years, came back last year, realized some of his principles didn't work against the way offenses are now. So he tweaked some things, and he's got an older, smart group over there. He doesn't have to tell them five times to do something. He can tell them once or twice, and they get it done. So far, so good. I think this week's going to be a diff different test. We're really going to find out how improved this defense is because Miami's going to distress them passing long, passing wide, passing over the middle, and running in a variety of ways. It's by far the best offense that North Carolina will have faced so far, and I think we'll really know just how much better this defense is. The numbers support the fact that they're significantly better. The eye test does too, but this is a different animal coming up this week, and I hope the Hurricanes are ready to play, and I hope they play well because that way we get to learn more about the Tar Heels. And in the end, as journalists, that's our job, right? Learn more and report it. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. Same here. Same here. Um, do you feel like Miami's their toughest test so far? Yeah, so far, yeah. Play? But by far, by far, by far. Okay. Yeah, Pittsburgh has no quarterback. Pittsburgh's yeah. a mess. And in college football, you can't go out and get one in the middle of the year. So they're a mess. Minnesota has no quarterback. They're a mess on offense. App State played a backup quarterback and nearly beat them. Uh, I don't, I don't know what they are. I think South Carolina's got a really good quarterback and rally. They got a one or two really good receivers, but we don't really know yet what the Gamecocks are. They're probably average at best. And uh, Syracuse, you know, they racked up a lot of numbers against some bad teams. I thought they were impressive at Purdue, but what's Purdue? Purdue's not very good. So we haven't seen the Tar Heels go up against a club that can match them in talent. 
match them somewhat in depth and athletic ability and experience in all facets of the game. And I think we'll see that this week. That's why I really hope that Miami is able to use what happened and galvanize and yeah. come ready to play. So we see a good football game. We find out what both teams truly are made of. And, uh, and that will help give us some clarity of what, what's going on. Cause that's what college football is about. Marcus It's about getting clarity, yeah. right? Right. Sometimes it takes through the end of October to get clarity on teams. And I still think we're seeking that with the Tar Heels. Yeah, I think you're going to see a highly motivated Miami Hurricanes team in Chapel Hill on Saturday because they feel like they won the game. They should have won the game. Let's be honest. You know, they should have be undefeated at this point. And I think that's going to keep replaying in their mind like, hey, we let one go. We should have played better. Uh, we shouldn't have let it come down to an official call or, you know, a last second heave to the end zone. And I think they're going to be motivated to prove to the world that they're not who we saw they were uh, last weekend. Um, So Saturday night, prime time, Carolina, Miami, Miami, last time they were in Carolina, it did come down to a final drive for Miami that was tipped. The ball was tipped close to, uh, the red zone, I, I believe, and then and then intercepted. So these games have, have come down to the final moments last year. It was kind of the same situation for Tyler Van Dyke. He was driving to for the, the possible game-winning score at Hard Rock Stadium, and it's intercepted again. How do you think this one turns out on Saturday night? Well, that game two years ago in Chapel Hill, that was TVD's coming out party. If I recall correctly, and he was awesome that day. And and last year, he was all they had. I don't think they ran the ball well against Carolina, but but he threw for around 400 yards, if I recall. He gave up issues. Pardon me? Nearly 500 yards. He, he Yeah, nearly 500, yeah. So uh, he gives them trouble because he's really good, and he's got good talent around him. So, um, God, I, I, I'm really looking forward just to seeing the challenge. That's that's the thing that that motivates me as someone who's done this as long as I have. I, I always have questions in my head, and I hope the games answer the questions. That's what it's about. And and I still have questions about North Carolina. I think what we've seen so far, this is a club that's been pretty good and has a potential of being really good. But the only way we find out if they're really good is, is to pass tests like they have this coming weekend. I agree with you. And I think they're looking at Miami as a 5-0 team, not a 4-1 team. And I know that's a tough sell to kids that are 19, 20, 21 years old. But, look, all he has to do is take a knee and they win. They're 5-0, and and this is a hype game. This is a 12 versus 15 instead of 12 versus 25. And has serious ACC implications, and it still does. But also, in in a year where the landscape suggest that there a couple of doors might be open for clubs to come in to enter the CFP that maybe you might not expect at the beginning of the year, this would be a game for one of those teams to maybe take that step forward. I still think because of Miami's schedule, they can do that because they have a lot of tough games remaining. They have more tough games remaining than North Carolina does. Uh, so it's still, carry, it's still going to be very important, but Miami's not going to enter the game thinking that so much. I think they're going to enter the game trying to cut the cord to what just happened and try to beat a really good team on the road. So they have a tough task. And North Carolina is too, because I think the Tar Heels aren't sure what to expect. Uh, Max telling them, 
you're going to get an A-plus team coming in here. But it's human nature, man. Human nature is all over the place in college sports, and it will be interesting to see how much of it finds its way to Keene Stadium Saturday night. Should be an interesting one in Chapel Hill. I'm going to put you on the spot, Andrew. How do you think this game turns out score-wise? Wow. Um, you told me a while ago you were going to – I haven't done my prediction yet. We do a staff picks every week on our site, and um, I, I think North Carolina's good. Yeah, I've covered a lot of rotten North Carolina teams. I've covered teams in this area for 27 years, so I've covered a lot of great basketball teams and only a handful of good football teams, whether it's North Carolina, Duke, NC State, whatever. And I think this team – I think this is the best team North Carolina's had since Mac was there the first time. And I think they have a chance to have a special season. And because they're at home, because Drake May is just a difference maker, nobody else has him except maybe Southern Cal – and I've waged that Carolina's defense is better than Southern Cal's. So they help Drake more than Southern Cal's defense helps Caleb. Uh, right. I think North Carolina is going to win this game primarily because they're at home, primarily because the Drake factor, I think his game is taking off in the Chip Lindsay offense. And then you add the Tez Walker factor. And the other thing, too, is that this club can get better. The Mac and the staff are coaching them each week like they lost. In fact, they told him at halftime, we're not going to even review the film of the first half against Syracuse. It was 27-0. We're going to judge you on the second half. I think that's interesting. And they're doing that because they know that they can push this mule all the way up the hill. And that's what they're trying to do. Last year, they weren't talking like that because they knew they couldn't do that. Now they know that there's potentially something special there, so they're coaching them that way. It's fascinating to watch. And I believe Carolina's going to win this game probably, probably about 10 points, 10, 14 points. And, um, you know, I think Drake's going to go nuts again. I think he's going to have a huge, huge game against a really good secondary. Yeah, uh, that's fair. I, I think this is going to be a very similar game that we've seen in the last couple of years between Carolina and Miami. I think it, this is going to be a battle of quarterbacks. I think Tyler Van Dyke will really wants to right his wrongs from last week, throwing three interceptions and really show that, you know, he is that quarterback that we think he can be. And Drake May, I think, is going to be Drake May. I mean, it, you know, this is a showcase game for him, prime time at home. Uh, first big, you know, opponent, I, I guess you could say, uh, for for the Heels this season. I think that this game is maybe a little bit closer than the experts think. There's a three to three and a half uh, point spread here. Um, but it, it, I think it's going to be tough with just coming over that emotional loss from last season, then going on the road, and then emotionally have to kind of be in a mindset to beat a team that wants to stay hot and, and you know, potentially make some noise in, in not only the conference, but maybe nationally. I think it's going to be a tough, tough game for Miami, um, but I think it's going to come down to the end. I think it's going to come down to a Tyler Van Dyke drive at the end, and maybe he, he comes up um, big in the end this time, or maybe, maybe he doesn't, uh, last two years, he did not. So I think, I think it's close. I think it's, um, you know, like a field goal game. Um, but if I had to put money right now, I'd probably say Carolina comes out uh, victorious, but Hey, that may change. I do a prediction at the end of the week as well. So we'll see what I, what I have, uh, on my prediction story. I hope you're right that it comes down to the last play of the game. 
Yeah. I, I think it would be great for both. If that happens, then Miami clearly has shed the skin from last weekend, right? Yeah. And I also think it would be great for the ACC, great for these teams if they could play a game that's highly competitive, highly entertaining, having the platform they're going to have Saturday night. And it's more fun to cover a good game than to cover a lopsided game. So yeah. I hope it comes down to that too. Absolutely. I will be traveling to Chapel Hill, Andrew. So oh, I'll, cool. Yeah, so I'll see you up there in Carolina uh, this week. I do appreciate you joining me for this podcast, the Storm Tracker Podcast. That's Andrew Jones, ladies and gentlemen, publisher for Tar Heel Illustrated, part of the Rivals.com network. And make sure you subscribe to this podcast on all platforms. Also subscribe to this YouTube channel as well. Thank you for joining me again, Andrew. Appreciate you having me on. And I'll see you in Chapel Hill. That's going to wrap it up for this episode of the Storm Tracker podcast, Scouting the Opponent. Until the next episode.